0: Genesis chapter 26, I'm back in that uh, again. We're going to keep working our way, plotting our way through the book of Genesis. There's just so much to learn. Uh, I haven't taught Genesis in a long, long time. I have just been uh, totally enjoying it uh, as, as I've been studying and learning again and seeing things I've never seen before. Isn't that the, the great joy of the Word of God that you can study something and then, it, whoa, I never saw that before. It's just, the Word of God is just bottomless. It just keeps giving and giving, doesn't it? And uh, what a joy to to study it and teach it and learn from it. Um, so praise the Lord for those things. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would guide our thoughts um, from your Word as we look into it. May you teach us great things about yourself. May we learn more about ourselves as well and how we can be a better worshiper. How we can trust you. How we can remind ourselves daily that you are faithful even when we seem to be faithless at times. Lord, we ask that that would encourage us to walk in faith and, and, and guide our direction in life that way, Lord. And so as we learn from patriarchs and matriarchs of the Old Testament here, may we learn from their failures and also learn by their worship as well. And so communicate that to us today, Lord. Help us see that. We want to be better worshipers. We want to be more faithful followers. We, we know that you've saved us. Our works are not something that we gain salvation by, but they are now acts of worship to you. And we want to do them by faith. We want to do them for worship, Lord. So I pray that you would encourage us tonight in those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Chapter 25, we did some discussion together on that last time just before Christmas when we took our break there. Um, But you remember that this was uh, the time when Esau comes in, he's famished, you know, and Jacob's there ready to take advantage of that. And uh, certainly Jacob had known that God had given a promise uh, that Jacob would be the one that would have the birthright. Uh, Certainly his parents knew that, everyone knew that, uh, and yet Jacob did not trust the Lord. He did not um, believe in the faithfulness of God to bring those things about. And so this little game of cat and mouse got played. And in the end, this legal transaction takes place of a selling of a birthright. And we begin to really see the heart of Esau in chapter 25. and we'll, Especially at the end of it there. And at the end of 26, we're going to see that nothing has changed after 20 years. Esau despised the things of God. And now he'll despise the things of his parents. He'll despise the things of God that God holds dear again, even in this text. But as we roll into 26, we begin to realize that chapter 26 is about fleeing famine. Run, uh, because famine changes everything in an agriculture world. There's fighting over water. Um, and there's faithlessness at times in this text. When you look at the agriculture world of the New Testament... Everything was around water. And if you've been in the agriculture business, you realize if you don't have water, you don't have anything. Water is the key to life. And in this, uh, this particular chapter, God is moving Isaac because of water. Because wells get stopped up and wars over water and all that. He's moving Isaac to where he wants to be. And so there's a constant pursuit of water and peace in this. But let's start out in the first six verses here. Number one, God's faithful covenant throughout the generations. Look with me at chapter 26, 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. That's in chapter 12, verse 10. You can go back and look at that. This is the second famine in these generations here. So Isaac went to Gerah, to Abimelech, king of the... Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, and here's a real key passage, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gera. Um, here we see this, fam- this famine coming, and, and again, a famine is brought on because of what? Lack of water. <laughs> uh, didn't rain. Uh, There are no high-powered three-phase pumps pumping, you know, we had wells on ranches that pumped 1,000 to 1,200 gallons of water a minute. Um, They don't have that. This is all hand-dug wells, uh, lots of grazing, takes a tremendous amount of land to have the kind of livestock Isaac would have had. Um, when you look at buying ranches, you look at a ranch of how, much, how, many, uh, acre, how many cattle per acre or sheep or whatever it may be that they can hold. Well, when you get into dry land, which this, which, which this would have been mostly in this area, it's, it's not how many uh, cows or animal per acre, it's, you know, it's how many acres per one animal because they have to spread out and they eat at least a third of their body weight every day. And so famine is driving uh, this change in life for Isaac and his family. It's interesting, God intervenes here. This is not the first famine he has sent on the land. In fact, the text tells us that there was a previous famine, and God used that to move Abraham where he wants. And isn't that interesting how God uses environmental changes to move people to do things? How many of you moved because you got tired of the cold up north? <laughs> right? The environment pushed you down here. We're glad you're here. Uh, um, you no, know, that's, that's what it does. God uses those things at times to put people where he wants. But there's always, when you think about some of the hardships that would come from this, it's always easy for us to flee hardship. We, we want to take the path of least resistance, don't we? We're just uh, akin to that, don't we? Well, that's hard. I'm going that way. Uh, but here God won't let him go. Notice in verse 2, Yahweh appears to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. God wants these chosen men, these families, this, those carrying the seed of the coming Christ in this land. This land is important to him. He wants to establish that this land is given to his people. And even though they really own very little, at this time, Abraham bought a plot of land to be buried on. And him and Sarah are buried there. And uh, these other patriarchs will be buried there as well. Um, that's all they have. But God does not want them to leave. He has put them here. And it's good to know those things. Because sometimes uh, we look to flee or go somewhere else. And God often will say, no, I want you to go through this. Because I want you to see that I have something better for you. Verses 3 through 5, we see that God reiterates the Abrahamic covenant to Isaac. And look with me here. Notice, he says, sojourn in this land. notice the I wills all the way through here. And I will be with you. That's that's a direct command from God. I I love those. I kind of mark all that up in my Bible. Because I I love to hear what God's telling me. I I will do this. (laughs) I think that's good, right? This is the will of God. Uh-oh, what is that? I want to read that. Your sanctification, we we talked about that Sunday. So here he says, I will be with you. He's speaking directly to Isaac here, the, the, the promised heir of Abraham. All the way back from chapter 12, the first three verses where he promised Abraham this, he's speaking to that heir now. You're sojourning in this land, stay in this land. I think we have a group called Sojourners, right? One of our our BFGs. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I'll bless you for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. Man, that was a long time until they really gained um, and they never really gained everything. Solomon gained the most of the ground that God had promised but they never really fully gained it all. But he says, look, I'm going to give these lands to you and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. What a great statement. I will do this. Yeah, uh, God didn't lie. The Bible tells us that, and we believe that of God, otherwise he couldn't be God. Uh, he doesn't lie. And so he's, um, he's helping Isaac make a decision to stay here because Isaac's probably tendency was to say, well, there's no rain, that means there's no food, there's no water, we've got to go. He says, no, stay here, I have a plan. Verse 4, notice he continues, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Boy, that's, you know, we talked about Sunday, the nearest star for the Voyager 2 to get to is still 40,000 years away for the Voyager to get to it. And yet, you and I, on clear days, and, you know, maybe if you've been up in the mountains, um, you just look at the stars and you just, they're uncountable. And here this promise, this massive promise that this Heritage, we have one heir right now on the earth, one, um, uh, that has been promised. And Jacob and Esau are now there, I guess we have two, there'll be two heirs, but they're not, they're not anywhere close to the constellations of the skies. And then he says, and we'll give your descendants all these lands, here's the promise, and by your descendants, now here's the one we wanna focus on, your, all of your descendants, excuse me, and by your descendants, all of the nations, wow, that's us, we just got pulled into this promise Of the earth shall be blessed. This is again, and this is the theme that we're watching as we study Genesis this reoccurring theme of the promise of this Messiah who's coming. And God is going to protect him through famine, through kings, through uh, rape, through all kinds of things that could happen. Protect this one through there because he will be a blessing to all the earth. Uh, We had a good time talking about y'all when we were out in um, them. Out in the West Coast in California, because people are very interested in our church out here. Um, And uh, and I said, "Yeah, it's fun. You know, there's people from all over the place. They're from Ohio and New York and and upstate. And I mean, they're from all over. And it's fun to talk to you because we have never lived on the East Coast. So we were just sharing stories about y'all, and they just they thought it was so fun to hear about how diverse our church is. But when I read a text like this, this is he was thinking of our diversity." Uh, my, my grandfather came on a boat from Portugal. Uh, my grandmother came from Scotland. These are the nations that are going to be blessed. I'm a believer. Uh, I, you know, I have part Portuguese in me and part Scottish and a few other things in me. But all the nations are blessed, particularly those who know Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus was not just for the Jews. He had, he, the goal of God was so much more grand than that. And that's why Isaiah 49, 6 says it's too small a thing just to come for the tribes of Israel. Too small. God was shooting after all of the world to gather people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And notice he reminds Isaac of Abraham's obedience. He says, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge and commandments and statues and my laws. And and we know, we know Abraham's life, that there was some real lack of faith in certain times. But God remembers faithfulness and remembers his work. And so Isaac lives in Gira, and this is the land of the Philistines that he's in. It's really interesting to think about that. We'll talk about that a little more as some other chapters come forward. Most of these chapters are all taking place in the heart of the Philistine capitals of cities. Later are there going to be the arch enemy of the nation of israel and david's going to have his hands full with them and king saul and so forth um but here they are roaming around in their backyard second thought god's continual protection over the seed of christ look with me at 7 through 11 when the men of the place asked about his wife he said "Uh uh-oh here we go again she is my sister for he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on the account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. And it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw. And behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. And then Abimelech called Isaac and said, "Whoa! behold, certainly she is your wife. I don't know what they were doing, but he certainly caught on something here. How then did you say, she is my sister? And Isaac said, because I said I might die on the count of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now as we venture into this, we see God's again protection of the seed even in Rebekah. And and further in this, this family that is supposed to have this great covenant fulfilled in them. And so after God's covenant is given to Isaac, he turns around and he commits the same sin of unbelief that his father Abraham did in Genesis chapter 20. And in fact, with the same group of people. Now, most likely, this is King Abimelech's son, um, just like this is Abraham's son. They're still ruling their own uh, uh, wealthy areas. King Abimelech has gear and, on the surrounding areas, and Isaac has a large contingency of, of people and animals and all of those things, and they have received the wealth often of their fathers. But there are some real insightful things in this verse when we look at it. And you can see what's going on in the culture here. Number one, I think killing is prevalent. Notice that he says that King Abimelech says, what what would, um, excuse me, uh, Isaac says, they might have killed me. I mean, do you go around saying that all the time? I might get killed. (laughs) <laughs> and we, we, in our society, isn't as safe as it used to be. Uh, most of us grew up in places where you left your doors unlocked. You know, in the ranch community, you leave your keys in the door and a, and a gun hanging in the rack, you know. Because it's safe, right? No one would dare to come into those. We maybe don't live in that society anymore. But, but here's such a society that, that at any moment, at least Isaac believes that someone could come after his wife and kill him. So, so it's not a really kind, you know, beautiful, gated community, you know. <laughs> it gives you an idea that this is not the safest place in the world. Notice also that beautiful women wear a prize. So there is the sin of Of beauty and exalting of that and taking that in and maybe taking somebody else's to have to gain because here Isaac is making the same thought having the same thought that his father had she's beautiful someone's going to take her from me and and you know where this goes because start thinking about that wow all what God did to get Isaac Rebecca do you remember that story Sending, sending his servant Eliezer, you know, going with all the camels and waiting for the first girl to come out and water and all that stuff. And God, boom! Here she is. Isaac, well, I don't know. I just Ooh. boy, if they know who you are. I'm a dead man. Lack of faith, lack of trust in God uh, from those things. There's great fear and tight living spaces here. You say, well, there's a lot of land there. What do you mean tight living spaces? Well, isn't it interesting in verse nine that? Excuse me, verse 8 that the king looks out his window and sees Isaac caressing his wife. Well, I don't know how long a far range you can tell when somebody's caressing their wife or not, but um, you know, I could probably see all of you here. Uh, I don't think he's very far away at this point. You say, well, why would they not spread out and live far away? Water there's no turn on the faucet oh hot water nice <laughs> let's get a jar put it on your head and head down to the watering hole so you don't live very far from water anywhere so everybody is in tight quarters because water is there in a very dry climate and very dry area and so these are tight conditions and anytime you have tight conditions you have difficulties uh, and when you put people in close proximity, and this is one of immoral action and, and fear and all that's tied together there. But Abimelech looks out the window and says, hey, wait a minute, you've lied to me. Nobody touches their sister like that. <laughs> we hope not, right? He, he sees that, right? And he sees the difference in it. So Isaac's fear of death and lack of faith in God all comes out during this episode here um, uh, and, and, and here we just I think it's just a reminder that man, God uses broken people I mean, hey, we're, not, we're not here to worship patriarchs we, we're thankful for Hebrews chapter 11 and the remembrance of faith of, of men and women who went before us but God is not one who wants us to worship those patriarchs and I think one of the things the Bible does for us often is it gives us very clear, insightful behavior of humans I've said this before too many times, because when you're witnessing, and you talk about the Bible, people are going to go, oh, your Bible's got a bunch of lies and murders and immorality and all that stuff in it, and you need to tell them you're right. (laughs) It does, isn't that, boy, because it shows us the problem with man, doesn't it? And I tell them all the time, but God is the one who can rescue man from all of that wickedness in here. And so we see lack of faith and people who just don't seem to trust God as we get into Jacob in the next couple of weeks Jacob's a little disturbing and though there are great different times and and this is a narrative we don't certainly know all that went on most of what we see in the Old Testament Jacob is very very little faith and yet God has him in the line and he's using him uh, to bring about his will well verses 10 and 11 um, they remind us that God wrote a moral law in the hearts of mankind I think this is very interesting and you have to think about the Philistines were very pagan polytheistic people, right? They worshiped many gods. We know, we know many of their gods because the, the ark was in amongst the Philippi, uh, Phil, uh, Philistines and, and their idols are falling over and all kinds of things. They, they were polytheistic in their worship. But, but here, in amongst this very pagan culture, it is very clear that they know what's wrong and what's right. We notice in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 26, verse 10. And Ben-Luk says, what is this you have done to us? This is serious. Isaac, are you kidding me? My father, let your father stay here. I've let you stay here. What have you done to us? This is a serious, serious crime, sin. We're talking adult, adultery. That we could be talking about. It says, one of my people could have easily lain with your wife. Well, that tells you that. Well, there, there's, I don't know what they thought about marriage, but this could have happened. And, and you would have brought, look at the word here, you would have brought guilt on us. A psalm is the, the Hebrew word here, and it is, has the idea of morally wrong. We actually translate it three times in the Old Testament as wrong. This is wrong. You would have brought this wrong upon us by not revealing the truth to us. Uh, the word's also, also used as a guilt offering. So when, uh, when we study the guilt offerings given, this is the word that comes up. So the point is here, the king of king Abimelech here knows that this is a wrong thing if somebody takes somebody else's wife and has an adulterous affair with them, it's wrong. And it brings guilt upon that person. Where did that come from? We have no Mosaic law at this point. There's nothing written down. And yet here we are, uh, years before uh, Mount Sinai and Moses and the giving of the law. And every man knew that this was wrong. Verse 11 Abimelech attaches the death penalty to adultery. Notice he says, so Abimelech charged all the people saying, who, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. God's protecting them in a pagan land here. And, and there's a reminder here, and I think this is a reminder of what God thinks of sexual sin. And, and you just can't help but see this stuff when you read this. And here even a pagan king, and, and of course we know, you know the answer, because God writes this moral law on the hearts of all men. People know what they're doing is wrong. Whether they're Christian or not, they know it's wrong, and though they try and try and, uh, to justify their positions, one of the hardest things pastors do, because usually somebody will come in and they're trying to justify their position, why they're doing what they're doing. And you go, there's no excuse. You, you cannot give me one excuse on the planet of why it's God's okay with you committing adultery. And even here in this pagan world of the Philistines, in this pagan world of polytheistic gods and, and people sleeping with other people, they know that adultery is wrong because God has written his moral law on their hearts. Well, number three, Wealth, power, envy, and water wars. Look at this section here, verses 12 through 23. Now, Isaac sowed in the land and, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. I mean, I don't know if you get your mind around the numbers of that. Um, uh, man, when you're farming, you're looking for 12 to 15, maybe 20 percent fold back on the seed that you put into the ground. I mean, we are talking bumper crops here that God does for Isaac. He did the same thing for Abraham. Um, He did the same thing for the nation of Israel as they wander even in the land. But here, the same year, God blesses him And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and he continued to grow richer until he became wealthy. You see that kind of? There's rich people, (laughs) there's wealthy people apparently, right? Um, And for he had possessions of flocks and herds, verse 14, and a great house. Uh Uh-oh. So that the Philistines envied him. Hmm. Look what comes with that. Now all the wells which his father, father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Girah and settled there. We'll start back with 18 in just a minute. Uh, one, a couple of things here. One, God blesses Isaac with wealth and power here. Uh, Wealth meaning he has um, uh, a monetary uh, riches that continue to grow from the sale of this grain and, and hay and whatever he's selling there. And then that becomes monetarily and, and pretty soon he gets to wealth because that's a calculation of everything. Uh, his household, uh, his servants, his, his flocks, his, uh, and, and his money and possessions. So God is blessing Isaac here. And that wealth brought power. This is not a verse on prosperity gospel. If you follow or are forced to hear some of that prosperity gospel, this is stuff they go to. And they'll say, look, you know, uh, God, you know, you believe God and you you walk by faith. He will do all these things for you. Well, this happens right after after he lies. (laughs) Right after he's caught by the king himself. And yet God does them for them. And I, I just, so many times you read this stuff and you go, man, God, why'd you do that? Because it's, one, it's, it's an insight into the kindness of God. God is good to his people. Is, is anybody hungry in here? Because if you're hungry, I'll take you right after and I'll go feed you. But most of us probably are full, if not too full, right? Um, and, and, you, and you think how kind God is. And and then we think about this, that it's a reflection. It's a reflection on what's to come. So so here, this is all talking about a kingdom that's coming someday for them, this great masses of land, even probably, we could probably look further into the great kingdom of God. This is the blessing and the future look of what God has for all of his people. You may not have much in this life. And God may not entrust for whatever reason, he, it's up to him, to entrust any of us with great amounts of money. But I'll guarantee you, you're the richest people in the world. Just absolutely filthy, eternally rich <laughs> with the blessing of God. I mean, gold in heaven is Asphalt. I mean, just think about what God lays. And I always think, when I read, read this stuff, I go, he's given me a picture of the future. And yet he does some here on earth a chance to see these things and to remind us as we read these men in their life. Whoever will believe in Christ will inherit God's eternal priceless kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? We certainly live in his spiritual kingdom now, but we will reign with him. We'll be with him. We'll spend eternity in heaven. What a glorious time. I know Dwight is doing a series, um, I think on Thursdays, uh, on heaven and hell. Eternal life and where, I mean, such amazing things. And I hope you enjoy that. I hope you learn both of hell. That really causes you to worship. And I, I hope you'll learn a lot about heaven and what God has for you in that study because it is a wonderful promise God has given us. But with that comes envy. Notice 14c at the end of uh, that little phrase there, at the end of the verse. So that the Philistines envied him. So here's an uh, outsider who's come into their land who's reaping all the benefits from their land, God is blessing him, the Bible says. It's not because Isaac's a great farmer or a great rancher. God is blessing him. That's what the Bible says in the end of 12. And the Lord blessed him. So God's granting these things. They don't understand all of that completely. They do see that his God has done something for them. um, But they envy it. And now there becomes tension and so, verse 15, we start to understand the tables now are turned against Isaac. Isaac is now again a stranger in the land. His welcome is now worn out. The family has uh, once been given freedom to stand wherever they want. King Abimelech told Abraham, said, go wherever you want. The land before you is yours. Remember that? Well, that has been revoked now. Envy, greed, fear has now got the best of the Philistines. And his right to the land is now revoked. The hand-dug wells, which were a key to life. I don't know if anybody ever had a well dug. It's pretty interesting, those guys that come out and do them. I mean, these are massive machines, big towered rigs, and they're burrowing down through layers. And um, we had a, our first well we ever dug. I, I can still remember the report. It was, you know, like 436 feet to get down to water, you know. The expensive wells, I mean, to get down that far. Here, the water table's pretty close because we're just a big floating sponge, I think. Um, uh, in California, you've got to go away for that water. Um, but here, just think about this. This is an arid land, but one of the things you find out about desert land, the water's there, it's just down, and you've got to go get it. The same is true in Nevada and eastern California and stuff. You've just got to go get it. But these were all hand-dug wells. And, and when you study this passage, I was thinking today as I was going over this again, I thought, there's just a group of Isaac's servants, so all they do is Dig. Uh, it may be the lower job, I don't know. You get one well done, and off to the next one you go. They're always digging wells. But here, these wells that were dug by Abraham's servants now are being plugged up with water. I mean, with, excuse me, with dirt, with earth. They're putting in there, and these wells are not providing. And so this water is the lifeblood. And they know, they know this rich and powerful man can't be rich and powerful anymore if we take away his water. Now you take away the water, you've got hours, maybe days, to go get water, right? You're talking about herds and herds of and animals and, and servants and children and households of people. They've got to have water. So what are you going to do? An Indian rain dance or something? No, you're going, to go, you're going to go find water. So pack up the place and go. And so God's forcing him out. And so everything has changed. He went from being on top to now being on bottom. So without water, you are... You are days away, and now Isaac is looking at bankruptcy. Because everything will die if you don't have water. In a sense, Abimelech took away Isaac's bank and forced him to move away here. Now, verse 18, we see then Isaac dug wells. Notice that he says, well, we've got to dig new wells here. And he dug, which had been dug in the days of his father middle of 18, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. So they did not like, you know, even, even though this was a very tiny, tiny nation made up of Abraham, Isaac, his sons Jacob and Esau, really, and then just a whole host of probably owned slaves and workers and, and farmers and, and cattlemen and all of those. They're a very, very small nation, but you can see that they were not happy. And as soon as Abraham was gone and moved out of the area, they stuffed up those, those, those wells, and so they could not produce water. In the end of 18, and he gave them the, uh, the same names which the father had given him. So he goes back, he's following. What, now what he's doing, he's following the path of his father. And he's going to those old wells um, that were dug in his time. Verse 19, and when, Isaac dug, uh, when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found water there, flowing water. Wow, they hit a geyser. That's really cool. Sometimes you hit underwater stuff and it comes flowing out of the well. The pressure just releases. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac. So uh, there's fights over water here. And they said the water is ours. So he, Isaac, named it Isaac because they contended with him. Then they dug another well. Right? They're following this line of wells. And, and they quarreled over it. So he named it Sitna. And he moved away from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel, but so he named it Rehoboth. Uh, For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful. So here, now in this section, the Philistines had found Isaac's weakness. They're now exploiting it. They know water is his weakness, and so they're taking away his water And God is moving Isaac away, farther and farther away from the Philistines here. And God told Isaac to stay in the land, remember? He said, don't leave, I'll provide for you. But there seemed to be no room for him. So Isaac's following this course of Abraham had done before. They're moving farther and farther east. If you look on a map, you can see where they're at. They're working their way away from the Mediterranean. They're working their way farther and farther to the east. But each time they dug a well, conflict came with it. Water always brings conflict. I'll tell a quick story. Um, we moved into Cottonwood, California. We sold our big ranch, moved to a smaller one. Um, I was starting seminary. We were planting a new church in the area. Um, and we picked out a ranch that had a great water right um, to buy. And everything is about water. If you're going to buy something that you're going to run livestock on, if you don't have water, it just it's not worth anything. So by God's grace, we were able to kind of um, find somebody who was willing to sell this ranch and it, was, it was an amazing story but that's another story so I had great. We were, first, we were first check off the main ditch meaning we had the first water right off the main ditch and I told Gene I said this is a great ranch man there's more water than we can use which is really cool because you can grow a lot of hay you can feed a lot of animals you can do a lot of things with that kind of water um, so uh, we just get moved in and we're starting to get our first water the first uh, spring and summer that we're there and I'm not getting ahead of water and I start talking to my neighbors and said, where's my head of water? I, I saw the water when we were buying this, how much water came in. I'm not getting that hit. Well, I found out there was an old cranky guy up the ditch who was stealing water. And nobody wanted to contend with him. And uh, I said, well, I, I can't remember his name. Uh, but they said, oh, no, he, he'll shoot you. He's mean. And, and, and we just let him take the water. I go, well, that ain't working with this cowboy. Uh, jumped on my Japanese quarter horse. That's a forerunner, and drove up, a uh, uh, four wheeler, and I drove up there, and there he is. Sure enough, he's in, he's in the main ditch taking my water. And I'll never forget, he turns around and he takes I go, hey, you can't see my water. He takes his cane, he goes to hit me, and I grabbed it like that. And I said, My name is Scott Menez, I'm a pastor in the area. This is my water. <laughs> And I just kindly dealt with him I remember him, then he started to break down And he goes, well they never give me my water And he was really upset and all this stuff And I said, hey, hey, I know the new water master Let me give him a call So I got him on the phone, got him over there Helped him figure out what day his water was Went and cleaned his ditches Helped him get his water into his place And we were friends till he died <laughs> Because water is such an important thing and, and, and the water wars that go on When I read this, as I was studying this I go, I know exactly what this is about if you don't get water, it's bad. So every time he'd get a well dug, he probably got his livestock fed, got enough going for a little bit of time. Here comes the Philistines in. They would argue over it. They'd bring their livestock in. Now you have a big mess over it. And so Isaac does not want to fight in battle and he just keeps moving on. This is the picture of what's going on here. But in verse 22, um, he finds water. And it's, it's interesting because this is a 20-year span. Chapter I, I finally figured out I had to work on the on the dates but chapter 26 is 20 years of the life of Isaac um, and 20 years of the life of Jacob and Esau as well and we'll get to them in a minute so it's not clear though how long this period was what's going on but it's long enough to sustain his herd so he's he is getting water he's grazing he's doing that but he's constantly on the move so Isaac has moved through all these different wells, and he's moving farther away from the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and, and, but finally, he reopens this well that he calls Rehoboth, and, and here now they have water. And Isaac, look at this in verse 22, He recognizes that the water was from the Lord, and he says, at last the Lord has made room for me. At last the Lord has made room for me. Isn't that interesting? There was no room for him. Don't go to Egypt. I know it doesn't look good. I know this is a problem. I know King Abimelech is going to turn on you. I know those people are going to keep driving you away. But I do have room in you for you because I promised it. I'm faithful. What a good lesson for us. Sometimes we just don't know if God's in things. Hardship after hardship comes, difficulty after difficulty. But He reminds us through the Word of God, "I will not fail. Do not run." Stay where I have planted you, and I will take care of you. And here, Isaac recognizes, says, and alas, the Lord has made room for us. Verse 23, then he went up from there to Beersheba. This is where I think the kids are. I think at this point, um, we begin to see Jacob and Esau back in the story. Um, I think Isaac and Rebekah had been living in the land of gear um, And it's probably true their sons weren't living with them because that would probably help us understand why Abimelech thought that maybe he was a sister from his lie. If the two sons would have been hanging around, he would have gone, wait a minute. So I don't think they're with him the whole time. I actually think they're down where Abraham used to run his cattle out of, of, uh, of, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought here. Um, out of Beersheba I think they're in there I think they have a ranch headquarters and here he's moving them together so God has brought Isaac and Jacob and Esau back together in this area which is going to set up chapter 27 the great (laughs) the great trickery to Isaac of the birthright going to Jacob so, verse 23, we see them back together. Verse 4, um, number, point, number, uh, number 4, our point here in verse 24 and 25, there's an eternal desire to worship here. Just quickly, I want to talk about this. It says, the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Wow, do not fear, for I am with you. Uh, this is a great statement because they have been through a lot. This is, this is year after year after year of battle and moving um, setting up camp getting run out of there going to the next spot he reminds them i'm with you don't be afraid i will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant abraham and in his response to this isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the lord pitch his tent there and isaac's servants dug a well that's what you do need more water so up to this point we don't see the boys with them but here shortly we're going to see them connected back together because of the size of Isaac's outfit, this huge, colomerate group of, of animals and people, um, they probably had to have other headquarters, other places, and I think the boys were with them. But here in 24, once again, the Lord makes it clear, I have promises, I've made them to Abraham, I'm not going to fail. Although Isaac is certainly the promised heir, we have little evidence of his commitment to the Lord so far, which is interesting. We just don't have a lot of evidence. The first thing we saw in Isaac was understanding that God had given him Rebekah. And, and then from there, he seems to struggle to obey the Lord. But here God says, look, I am here. I will take care of this. Now, at this point in the story, um, there's been a lot of tension. And now it's settled down, and Isaac builds this altar. Kind of it, The wording is like a permanent altar for worship and sacrifice, And again, this is prior to Mosaic law, but ever since Adam and all of these men in the line of Christ and these godly men in the Old Testament, this is something they do. They build an altar, they sacrifice an innocent animal in an act of worship to God. And of course, we understand that this is all a picture of what is to come, but this is what Isaac does he realizes that God is worthy of worship. This internal worship comes out of him. And as you read the narrative, and again, it's, it's, it's blowing through years of years, and we don't have the whole story here. It seems that though he goes through through tough times, he comes back and he worships here. Now, number five, God grants seasons of peace. Look at me at verse 26 and following. Then Abimelech Abed- Abed- came to him from Ger with his advisors, Azuleth and Fakul, these are same names. Fakol goes on later, that name gets passed in this, these warriors for um, the Philistines, the commanders of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, look at this, since you hated me and have sent you away? If you don't think there was tension between these groups, read that wording. Isaac said, you hated me. We had a deal, man. You told my dad he could stay here as long as he want, and you've let your people run me out. There's tension here, but peace is coming. Verse 28, they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Yahweh is the word there, that Yahweh has been with you. They recognize that his God has been with them, so we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. And then they made a feast and they ate and drank and in the morning they arose early and exchanged oath and then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Um, 20 years, 20 years uh, that Isaac has, has shared this tension. Um, over this span in chapter 26. And here comes these men, and, and like Abraham, Isaac was strong enough to probably battle this nation. I, I read a few commentaries um, on this, and there's some history that some of these guys have dug up that they believe the Philistines at this time were in a war over on the Mediterranean. And they didn't have the resources. And so one commentator said it is possible that King Abimelech realized if this God is so powerful and he's doing these things that we can't explain for this man, and we've seen, we know about the war his father won in Genesis chapter 14, I think it'd probably be good if we go make peace with this guy. I think we've kicked him off enough. His dad dug those wells, we stuffed, we put dirt in them and kept pushing them out and kept pushing them out. And you can see these guys recognizing that Isaac's been blessed by God, he's not a small group anymore, we could have a major conflict here, and so they seek peace together. And combined with the understanding of God's blessing of Isaac, wisely they sought peace. So this formal meeting happens. At, I think this is a pretty cool. Get together and eat. Um, they, they had a big meal. They made an agreement. They brought peace. That was, that was over several decades between Isaac and the Philistines. Now notice verse 32. And it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. <laughs> now you go, To our day, you know, when you turn on a faucet, it's not that big a deal. This was like finding, you know, grandma's, you know, inheritance stashed away. This is a big deal. Every time they find water, it means massive wealth. It means more livestock, more people, more things you can deal with. And so right after this peace treaty gets taken care of, here comes his servants. And so as soon as this entourage of Philistines depart, Isaac's servants come in. Maybe they knew and they didn't want the Philistines to leave. And they go, hey, good news. God just gave us more water. And so appropriately, Isaac uh, rechristens the well here. And, um, and he calls it uh, Sheba. And, and there the name of the city, because of the name of the city of Beersheba by them. Now, the last section is a little sad. Um, number six we call it rebellion in the family look at 34 and 35 all of a sudden we come back to the kids and they're now in the same area we believe Esau and Jacob have probably been in this Beersheba area watching the flocks and running the home ranch there Um, but notice what it says when Esau was 40 years old now when he sold his birthright we have him pegged somewhere around 20 years old so this is 20 years later All right, so he's 40 years old. He married Judith, the daughter of Bera, the Hittite. Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And look at verse 35. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Well, like I said, the closing verses of 26 are somewhat sad, aren't they? It seems the family's back together now in Beersheba. Some 20 years has passed since Isaac sold his birthright. But nothing seems to have changed as far as Esau's rebellion is. And think about this, uh, brothers and sisters. Doubtlessly, Esau knew the great care that grandpa um, Abraham did to get Rebekah's wife. It was clear that God did not want them taking them from the pagans. They were to go and take of their own people, and it was very clearly marked. But, but Esau didn't care about those things. And he not only marries a pagan Hittite, he marries two of them. <laughs> I mean, he doubled down on uh, disobeying what probably his parents would want, and we can say that because of verse 35. It brought grief to mom and dad. And it seems Esau desires to to almost in a defiant way shake his fist at God's plans. His actions show he he doesn't want to be a part of God's special people. I don't want what you have. He knew these covenants. These covenants are amazing. They're all through, and, and though we're in a narrative and it stretches time, time and time again, God speaks to his father, his grandfather. These covenants are known. He doesn't want anything to do with God's people. And it saddens our heart. And we see this today where sin drives wedges. And, and, and then there's hard heartedness towards people who want to help somebody. But they don't want to do what God desires them to do. And there's hurt. And there's difficulty that come. And whatever God says he seems to do the opposite. Right in front of the family. And I think there's, I think one of the verses that strikes us, and we're going to have to look at this next time, in, in next week in 27, is in Genesis 25:28. these phrase, and this is what's difficult. Isaac loved Esau. Now, I, if you have a wayward child, I'm not telling you not to love your wayward child. You should love, God wants you to love them. But it was an unfaithful type of love. When he himself heard that the younger, will serve the, the younger will rule over the older. The older will serve the younger. The, the promised heir is the younger one, Jacob. And yet he fights that all the way through. We see that Isaac uh, takes in this son and loves what he does and honors him. And, and it causes great stress in the family. Isaac is a, um, is a bit of a problem here. And as we'll see as we go on, you're going to see his, his son Jacob do much of the same thing, right? He's going to make special coats for a son. And then when he thinks that son's dead, he goes to protect another son and holds him high above the rest. And he creates great envy and jealousy and problems because of a lack of faith and trust in God. And, and there's much to be learned out of this. And so I, I put down just a couple of, points of application here for us to think through because i want to remember that we're we are not perfect people right and so i I put this question in your notes can can you think of a time can you think of a time god was faithful when you were faithless because i see that in the text god just keeps taking care of isaac he doesn't we don't see anything in the text where he seems to to trust in the lord greatly uh, as much as you would like him to He, he does just what his father did he lies about his wife um uh, and and then he gets into some conflict that has to be moved along. But can you think of a time when you were faithless and God was faithful? Don't look at me like that. Can you think? Can you think of a time when your your faith was weak and God sustained? You know, this is what God does. I think we are often quick to remember our faithful times. We're quick to say, Oh, God, you know, I I gave when, you know, there wasn't much, and I, I did this and do that. But I think sometimes we forget there's probably a whole host of times when we live and act faithless. And God does it. Praise the Lord. Because he loves his children, and, and like Isaac and Abraham and Jacob, he has a plan, and he has a plan for us. And he wants to establish us for eternity in his kingdom. And yet there's times as we act faithless. Second Timothy, Timothy 2.13 says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And then it says this, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that beautiful? See, see, he can't turn on his word. We turn on our word. Anybody ever not kept their word? He can't. He's God. He's faithful through and through. And for him to not be faithful, he would have to deny himself. Proverbs 25, 19 says this, like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is a faithless man in trouble. That's us. We're just a bad tooth. Oh, I'm an idiot. Why don't I trust the Lord? God promised to take care of me. He loves me. He sent his son to die for me. Why do I act that way? I'm like a bad tooth. You feel like a bad tooth every once in a while? He's always faithful for us. Third, second here, uh, what do we lean on in times of faithlessness? What do we lean on? World system? Oh, the economy's going to get better. My house is going to be worth more. Things are going to turn around a little bit. Yeah, it may happen, may not. It may crash completely, who knows? What about human counsel? Well, my, you know, my friends told me this, and, and I think I'm going to do that without searching God. What about... Fighting or a flee response. You know, I'm going to fight this and, or, or, or I'm just going to run away from things without trusting God. Look with me at Proverbs 3. I just want to show you quickly here and we'll finish with this. Proverbs chapter 3. You know this passage, but it's so worth reading. I've been reading through the Proverbs and my personal reading and I just got lost in this first few verses uh, of Proverbs chapter 3. And just the beauty of it, to remind me My son, do not forget my teaching. Hmm. That's a problem. We forget. We put ourselves under the teaching and preaching of God's word, and and then we walk out and have a fight with our, our spouse. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. My divine decrees is what he's saying. For the length of days and the years of life and peace will be added to you. Hold on. Believe what God is saying, what, what Solomon is telling us. Or do not let kindness and truth leave you. When th- times get difficult, be kind, be truthful. Isaac did just the opposite. He lied. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. This is the inner thing that you do. Put it inside you. Hold deeply to the word of God is what the idea here. Verse 4, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And then these great verses we all know and probably have committed to memory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Isn't that great? He'll take you to where he has designed you to go. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Hmm, That's a problem, isn't it? We often think we have everything figured out so we don't pray and we don't trust him and we end up acting faithlessly. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear, worship the Lord, turn away from evil. See what's wrong and say, God, I know that's not of you. I'm gonna turn away from those things. You're worthy of that. And it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Don't, don't hoard what God has given you, little or great. He says, give it back. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. He can give you whatever he desires, right? And then finally this, my son, because once in a while this needs to happen, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. God disciplines his children. He loves us, and don't loathe his reproof. Reproof means to expose error. It's a great word. Um, the Bible says that Peter reproved Jesus. <laughs> tried to expose error. Well, that didn't happen, right? We need to be it, reproved, everyone so. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. even as a father corrects a son in whom he delights, and probably the context for Hebrews chapter 12 when the writer says God disciplines the ones he loves. So what do you lean on? And then finally, do you recognize rebellion? Is a rebellion in your life? Is a rebellion maybe in your children or someone close to you? You have to recognize rebellion. Rebellion is deadly. See it and spot it and deal with it and speak truth to it lives within some of us and and some of our loved ones. We have to recognize these things and and understand what the results of rebellion is. Rebellion brings death to relationships. And we're going to see as we go, Esau's rebellion is God is going to bring great death to relationships, great fear, great separation of family because he doesn't repent of his rebellion. And I think one more thought is we just have to wonder, do we facilitate rebellion? You facilitate it in some way. And it's hard when it gets into our families. It's hard. It's very difficult. But, but we should recognize that I, I can't stand there. I can't go with you in this area. I love you, but I can't go here with you. Because I don't want to be part of your sin. I want you to repent from that and turn. And parents in this room, be careful. Child-centered homes. Because you'll create a little rebellious child. The home center is Christ. He's center of our marriages, he's center of our parenting, he's center of our physical home, or spiritual homes, he's center of all of that. And when he's not center, rebellion comes easily. And Isaac failed in that area, I think. So confront sin, deal with it. Be prepared to live with the consequences if you don't. Because rebellion will cause great destruction of it. These are just some things to think about as we study these two kids, Jacob and Esau. And as we see whether they follow God or not. Father, thank you for the lessons that we learn. I think the greatest thing we see over and over, Lord, in these passages is how faithful you are. We wish that Isaac would trust you. We wished Jacob would would. Trust your promises that were given to his mom and dad. We wish Esau would turn from sin and walk with you. We wish ourselves and family members and those we love dearly would repent of sin. Because we know what happens. Just faithlessness leads to rebellion, rebellion leads to death. And so, Lord, may we be repenters of sin. May we forgive. May we move on to walk with you, Lord. Be quick to worship you. Be quick to put you first in our lives. Lord, in the end, I pray not only for me, but all my brothers and sisters here before me, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. We are faithless, Lord. You stand faithful time and time and time again. And it's your character, God. You cannot deny yourself. And so we thank you for that. Help that to motivate us to live for you, Lord. Thank you for these dear people who came out tonight. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church as we exalt your son, Lord. Bless it with great joy. Bless us with extreme joy here, Lord, that we love our Savior and we want to live for him. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.